0: I don't know if you heard about the guy who took his wife to a marriage seminar, and in the midst of the seminar, they began to talk about the need for the wife to submit to her husband, and how that had been something lost in our society today. And, and the more the man talked about it, the more the husband, all of a sudden out of nowhere, took out a notepad and began to take notes. His wife, looking over at him, began matter and matter and matter and matter, and by the time they got to the car, she was upset. And as they're driving home, uh, he was thinking about all the things he learned. And when they got in the house and opened the door, as soon as he shut the door, he looked at her. He said, you know what? That man who was speaking tonight's right. And I want you from this point on, I want you to submit to me. I want you to know I am the one who's going to take control of this household. And after he went on for about three or four minutes, he didn't see her for two weeks. Then after two weeks, uh, his left eye began to open a little and he could see her. (laughs) You know what? We're in the middle of a series on freedom. And we've been talking about what it means to be free. And uh, there is a demonic element that keeps people in bondage. Jesus had said in John 10 verse 10, that the thief has come to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So few people are living the abundant life, the life that God meant for them. Why? Because there is a devil, there is an enemy, there is a demonic cord who supports him. And uh, as we come into Halloween weekend, I had really thought about talking about just demons in general, and talking about the demonic and the forces of darkness. But uh, then I went away to Arizona, and I was with some, some friends of mine who are pastors, and we began to talk about an issue that the church in the United States is facing. And uh, it started to create what we're calling a holy discontent. Uh, When I got back and shared it with our staff, it just kind of began to expand and grow and and, and take on a life of its own. And I got with our elders and their wives. And and as we began just to bring this out, it was like you could just sense something going. And this kind of burning flame turned into like a forest fire of passion for us not to be caught this way. There is a demonic element. But the vast majority of us are never going to see a demon directly. Now, I'm not saying there are not demons out there. And I'm not saying they do not possess people just as in the days of Jesus they do today. But I want to tell you, there's something far more deadly than that direct confrontation. It's the demonic influence that fills the air of society. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you formerly walked according to the course of the power of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Listen to that phrase again. We were walking according to we were living our lives according to the prince of the power of the air who works in the sons of disobedience. This is a title for the devil. This is a title for his demonic influence. And what is it saying? It's saying he creates an air of influence that people walk according to, and they actually end up working, uh, having this work inside them. The work that happens inside them leaves them in bondage. It creates despair. It takes away the joy that God means for us to have. And the love and the depths of relationships he wants for us. This, this demonic working that's there. And what it is, it's an air of influence that comes. And, and that's what's creating this holy discontent. Because we're seeing something happen that literally alarms many of us. Uh, when I was thinking more about it. And praying about it. I went to Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 12. Listen to what it says. It says it will come about at that time. That I will search Jerusalem with lamps. This is God. God says it will come about at that time. That I the Lord God will search Jerusalem with lamps. And I will punish the men. Who are stagnant in spirit. Who say in their hearts the Lord will not do good or evil. Now I want you to think about the power of what's just said. God says I'm going to have a day. A moment in time where I come to judge this world. And I'm going to come in exact judgment. I'm going to come and hunt down. I'll take a lamp and anybody who's cowering and trying to hide. I will search them out so that I might judge them. Now we know that God is going to judge those who are immoral. We know that God is going to judge those who are abusive. We know that God is going to judge those who are given to lying and deceit. But are you ready for who else God's going to judge in equal, in equal harshness? Those who are stagnant in spirit. Uh, uh, Some of the other versions that are translate this word complacent. I'm going to hunt down the person who's complacent. I'm going to go after them. I am going to judge them. God says, if you're just lukewarm, if you're just like willing to to languish and not live your life with this holy passion, this excitement, uh, fervency that God wants to cause each one of us to live with. He says, I'm going to come after you. I'm going to hunt you down. General Booth, who founded the Salvation Army said, if God can only answer one prayer, his prayer would be this, that every single person who's a Christian would be dangled over hell for one minute. He said, after that, we would never be the same. After that, we would do whatever we could to see people be saved from such a horrible place. After that, we would call people with a passion to a love of God. He said, I just wish we had that in us. And I think he's right. I don't know if you've ever heard the old story that Satan gathered all the demonic horde together. And he said, we're beginning to lose to the church. The church is winning and we need to find a way to combat the church. What should we do? And in the midst of the meeting, one of the demons said, I know. Let's start telling everybody that there's no heaven. And there's no reason to live like this. And Satan said, well, only a few will believe that. I don't think that'll make the impact we need to make. Another demon said, I know. Let's tell them there's no hell and there's nothing to be afraid of. And Satan again said, no, I, I, I know only a few will believe that it, it's not going to be enough. And another demon stood up and he gave an answer and there was a hushed silence. And all of the realm of darkness knew that this was the direction to go. What that demon said is let's tell people there's no hurry. There's no hurry. There's no impending need to bring the message. There's no passion that you need to come with. There's no timeline on it. And the realm of darkness bought it. I want to tell you today that I think there's a stagnation in spirit that we need to look at. Uh, The church that doesn't care. The church that doesn't want to confront. The church that doesn't realize that when someone dies, that at that moment, that they're now sealed for that time of judgment. Because it says in the book of Hebrews, it is appointed for everyone to die once and then the judgment. And there's no second chance. There's no place of waiting. And, And if we don't reach them before that last heartbeat, then we've lost them for eternity if they haven't named Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But even more, what we're watching is not only people dying without a hope in God and without being told about their hope in God, it's something even more going on. We're watching people not live their lives to be who God created them to be and have the passion he wants them to have. And and here's the thing I want you to grab hold of. Where is my going? Where is this holy discontent? It's because we've reached a place right now where we're watching men Men in the United States not be men that God wants them to be. We're watching men be stagnant. We're watching men be complacent. Here's a word. We're seeing the passive male population growing at an alarming rate. There's an epidemic today of men not standing up to be men. As a matter of fact, what started the conversation in Arizona was this. One of my friends brought up an article he had read where for the first time, in the history of the United States, there are more women, more women in the workforce today than men. More women are taking on the job of actually earning a wage for a household, or they're single women doing it for only uh, 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 the, the, their families. There was an interview done of CEOs of the seven growth sectors. And they asked this question of CEOs, the seven greatest growth sectors in our economy. They said, would you prefer to hire men or women? And the answer they came back is women because they're more motivated. Uh, We've hit a time where women are better educated. We hit a time where there are more women who are declaring engineering as their major than men. Now, I'm not anti-woman. And if you're a woman listening to this, let me tell you something. No one's asking you to back off. No one's telling you not to be a person of excellence. And I want to say this if men aren't going to lead, then lead. I mean, we can't wait. We can't hold off. And if you're a strong woman, you be ever stronger. And you make men compete with you. But every man who's listening, I'm saying this rise up, don't complain. Don't get a bad attitude. Don't have a poor me pity party moment. Stand up and be a man. And we need to go and take this world for Christ. And we need to not tell the women to back off. We need to say we're going to join you in taking this country and this world for Jesus. We're going to take down the gates of hell. And by doing that, we're going to be everything we're supposed to be. That's God's great desire for us. Do you realize we're hitting a place today where we're even forcing the women of our country to have to fight our battles for us? uh, uh Lockheed Martin, which is the defense contractor, three of their four major divisions are being led by women today in leading our battle in the defense. Now, again, I'm not anti-woman, but why is this? I believe it's because men have become passive. There's a little town in Mexico. I was just watching this on the news recently. Some of you saw it. It's so overrun with crime and drugs that people literally are quivering in fear that the last three police chiefs have been murdered. And then no one wanted to be the chief of police until now a 22 year old woman has risen up. She's now the chief of police and every single police officer is a woman. Again, I'm not being anti-woman. I got to ask a question. Where's the men? And the sad thing is, is they were showing her knowing she's probably going to be murdered as she takes on a major drug cartel with her and a few other women. You got to ask, why aren't the men at least there supporting her? You see, here's what I want you to know. It's not just in the workforce. It's not just in the realm of education. It's in the church. And when the prince of the power of the air, the the devil himself is causing people to walk against what God's called them to be. He's the thief that's caused them to literally find themselves stolen from. And killed and destroyed. And this destruction happens also as a destruction of spirit. Where we don't have the spirit of the living God. With this passion and desire raising up within us. Something's wrong. And we can't allow that to happen. We can't be that kind of person. We can't let that occur. We need to be people who scream out the call of freedom and the cry of freedom. So people are rescued from hell and rescued from destruction and rescued from despair and rescued from things that keep them in bondage. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but if I were asked to name one of my favorite movies of all time, it's Mel Gibson starring in Braveheart. And when he stands and cries, freedom, freedom, even at the cost of his life, you look and say, that's a man, that's someone with a purpose. And we need to be that kind of person. Now, how biblical is what I'm saying? Well, listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. It says, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Act like men. Be strong. But let all that you do be done in love. Now, think about that. He says, I want you to be on the alert. And what we're doing is we're looking around right now and saying, what's going on? What's going on in this country? What's going on in this world? And we're on the alert. And by the way, in the church today, do we see the impending danger of the prince of the power of the air? The demonic literally causing men not to be the kind of men they should be. Husbands not being the kind of husbands they should be. Fathers not being the fathers they should be. Where their children can look up and see a strong man standing for the cause of Christ. When we see women who are left not to, not to have to worry about a husband now who's domineering, but who's one who's absent. And no reason, there's no way that God has ever called for a man to be domineering and authoritative in that way. But the reality is this, we need to be people who stand strong, who love, who care, who have that kind of a desire. You know what? These are times where we need men to be the leaders of their families. We need men to be leaders in their marriage. Now, if you're a woman right now, you might be saying, man, that sounds so chauvinistic, but let me make sure you understand that definition. The definition of true spiritual leadership of a man in the family is that you become like Christ towards your wife. You know what that means? That means you're the lead lover in your family. You lead by loving and loving with passion. And we need women in our church and we need women in the realm of the church at large to be loved with passion by their husbands. Proverbs five says we ought to be intoxicated by that love and we need to throw it out in a way that's meaningful to the wife and it needs to be there. And so we need to be the lead lovers, loving our wives, loving our children, leading out in a love for God. I, uh, uh as I was getting ready for this, I've gone to some women who I respect who are strong who are intelligent, who are effective in their lives. And I asked this question, what would you do if your husband came home tonight and looked you in the eye and said, honey, let's pray together. Let's hold hands and let's just seek the kingdom of God together. Let's pray. And you know what? Every single one of them said, I would love that. Not because these women aren't going to be strong and not going to be effective. These are great women doing great things. But, you know, they're not threatened by the fact that their husband would rise up and be a spiritual leader and would grab their hands and say, pray. They would love it. They would want it. They would desire it. And two of them said to me, the only time we've ever prayed is a couple's when I brought it up. And it kills me. It kills me. Now, now, why is it? Because there's something about saying, come on, let's go. Let's be a person with passion who lives their lives the way they're supposed to. God's great desire is that. And so we need men who are leading out in prayer and they're leading out in love. And by the way, ready for this, they're leading their children. They're not relegating the school to teach their children. Although we have great schools in our country. They're not relegating it to the church to teach spiritual things. Although the church ought to partner with you. It's where a father says. I am going to pour myself into the life of my child spiritually. God's great desire is that we be that way. And that we become amazing friends. And amazing people in the kingdom of God. And we ought to see every ministry in the church. Have men come in and say I want to be a part of this. And God's desires that we do it. What kills me is how many fatherless children there are out there. And maybe one of the great dangers in life. Is when they're fatherless with a man actually sitting in the home. His body's there, but his heart isn't. His body's there, but there's no passion for his family and for his children. And maybe that hurts just as bad or maybe even worse that they're sitting there like almost a zombie void of any true effect in the life of their children. And by the way, I want you to know this, that studies have shown it's not just boys who need a father. It's girls. Young girls who need a dad to pour into them and teach them that they're beautiful and valued and loved. Um, Reba McIntyre had a song that I want to read the words from that I just got to tell you. When I was in youth ministry, I could almost quote this song over girls who felt this way. It's called The Greatest Man I Never Knew. It says, the greatest man I never knew lived just down the hall. And every day we said hello, but we never touched it all. He was in his paper. I was in my room. How was I supposed to know that he thought I hung the moon? That he thought I was something? She never knew it. She said, the greatest man I never knew came home late every night. He never had too much to say. Because too much was on his mind. I never really knew him, and now it seems so sad. Everything he gave to us took all he had. Then the days turned into years and the memories to black and white. He grew cold like an old winter wind blowing across my life. The greatest words I never heard, I guess I'll never hear. The man I thought would never die, he's been dead almost a year. He was good at business, but there was business left to do. He never said he loved me. I guess he thought I knew. How many young daughters look at the dad and say, would you just love me? Would you just be there for me? Would you have something in your life that says, I'm going to be a man of excellence in the life of my daughter? How many young sons are looking up wanting desperately for that father to not be some distant figure, but to love them with passion? And here's the thing. That's not just a a problem in this country. It's a problem in the church. And it becomes worse in the church when we know that God's called us to be better. God's called us to be greater. God's called us for more purpose. God's called us to be someone who stands strong. And we need to do that no matter what the circumstances are. God is saying in First Corinthians sixteen thirteen, he says, act like a man, be passionate, be bold, be strong. That's who we need to be. A lot of us recently got really caught up in a book called in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Mark Batterson wrote it. And I would highly recommend that book to everyone, to women, but also especially to men. We need to read it and grab hold of it in it. You begin to understand the heart of God. Now think about this. Jesus said in John ten ten, there's a thief that's come to steal, to kill and to destroy. But over here, I have come that you might have life abundantly. How do we find this life? We find it with him. you got to be living with the Lord in an intimate relationship with him. But then Jesus in John 8, 31 and 32 said this. He said, if you, if you continue in my word, you will be disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So how do we become free to be who God wants us to be? The answer is this. Let's go to God's word. And in it, we find the heart of God. And you can't miss how God begins to describe his heart by giving us stories, true stories. Real life stories of people that we need to learn from. One is this man named Benaniah. And listen to what it says about Benaniah in 1 Chronicles 11, 22 to 24. It says, Benaniah, the son of Jehoshida, the son of a valiant man of Kabzil, mighty indeed struck down the two sons of Ariel of Moab. He also, listen to this, he also went down and killed a lion inside a pit on a snowy day. Drive that in your mind. He went down and killed a lion inside a pit on a snowy day. Verse 23. He killed an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. Now in the Egyptian's hand was a spear like a weaver's beam. But he went down to him with a club, snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, did and had a name as well as the three mighty men. Why does God talk about the mighty men in the time of David? Why does he spotlight three mighty men in particular? Why? Because God loves men like this. God wants men like this. God says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem with the lamp, hunting down men who are hiding and passive when they should be out there fighting the battle with an Egyptian twice their size. They should be going down into the pit and fighting the lion on a snowy day. And now think about this. He had that tenacity. He had the motivation to go into the pit and hunt the lion down. But today, that's not what we're seeing. And I know why the way I know that there are godly men who are in this church. So I know it's not every man. I know this church is filled with men who are ready to get in the pit with the lion. But I want to tell you, if you're not that kind of a man, you need to think about it because you're being influenced by the prince of the power of the air. Listen to what it says in Proverbs twenty-two, thirteen: The sluggard, the passive man, the man who doesn't have passion, the lazy man says this. The sluggard says there is a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. Now think about that. There's a problem outside. There's a lion outside. And if you're a Ben and and you hear there's a lion outside, you want to go take out the lion. You can't wait to get in the street to fight him. But the complacent man, the passive man, he cowers from things. He doesn't face things. He doesn't go after them. He doesn't want to be someone who makes a difference. When we have a problem to face, everybody who's a passionate God, uh, God indwelt person begins to understand it's the possibility for an amazing miracle. And you see, but my problems are big. big. And we say, yeah, but our God is bigger and we need to rise up. Well, the, the enemy is strong. Well, let him be, think he can stand before me. I'm going to go take him down. If there's a lion in the street, let's go take out the lion. Let's don't let it keep us out of the fight. That's who we need to be. And in this culture today, the church ought to rise up like never before and stand against the prince of the power of the air. The most demonic thing we could ever happen is for us to sit back and be passive in such a time as this. And the men, all the men of the church today who are standing strong and godly need to be joined by those who are ready to get ready to fight the fight. David, we're told in 1 Samuel 13, 14, was a man after God's own heart. Have you ever thought about why David had to be David? It's because Saul refused to be David. Saul was chosen by God to be king. He was chosen by God to lead. He was chosen by God to rise up and he refused to do it. In First Samuel ten twenty two, it says this. They were coming to, to make Saul king. They were coming to call him out to be the one to lead them into victory and to set them free from their bondage. And in First Samuel 10, 22, it goes, Therefore they inquired further of the Lord, and they said, Has the man come here yet? Where is this man who's going to be king, who's seven feet tall, who stands head and shoulders above the rest, who God has put his hand upon? And it says this, So the Lord said, Behold, he's hiding in the baggage. Now, now God had already told Saul, he, I, I'm going to make you the king. He had sent Samuel uh, uh, and, and to, to call him out. Samuel reminded him that Saul's father was a man of valor. So Saul was born into a place of valiant living. He had had that emulated to him. He didn't have an excuse Then Samuel anointed Saul and said, God is going to cause you to be victorious over the Philistines. And then what happened is Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now imagine this you have a man who has seen other godly men in action, valiant men in action, who's been anointed and taught God's word, and then is filled with the Holy Spirit and mightily filled with the Holy Spirit. And when his time to rise up comes, he's hiding in the baggage. He's hiding out from it. He doesn't want to step forward. There's a lion in the street, so he cowers inside. He doesn't want to go and and claim the destiny he has. By the way, when it was pronounced over him, you will be victorious over the Philistines. And later on, he wasn't. Later on, he personally wasn't. Well, here's what you need to understand. Is God was still going to have his purpose done and the victory come. So when Saul refused to step up and be who he should be. Then someone else in his name, in his place, rose up, a man named David, and he went out and took on his Goliath and brought the victory at that moment. You see, David was a different kind of person. David was different. When Goliath came and taunted the armies of Israel, Saul was the man who should have fought him, but we know he was hiding in his tent. He went from hiding in the baggage to hiding in the tent because there was a Goliath outside. But David was different. And and when he heard, when he heard Goliath taunting the armies of Israel, he asked this question. Is there not a cause? And everyone said, you're a young boy. You can't take him on. What are you talking about? And he says, the question isn't me. The question is, is there not a cause? Now, before we go there, I want to ask you, is there a cause? Is there a cause you live for? Is there something that literally is burning inside you? God's called you to be and do. To love, to care, to make a difference, to meet the needs of others, to pour into other people. God's asking the question today, do we understand we have a purpose for living? We have a cause. And then later on, what happened is this is David was brought to Saul and and David said, I'll fight him. Saul standing there towering over David should have said, no, I'll do it. But he looked at him and said, you can't fight him. You're too young. You're too inexperienced. In other words, Saul was really good at making every excuse possible than going in and taking on the problem. Now, I want to tell you this. I'm not trying to be condescending. But if you're facing problems today, you're facing hurt today. It's time to rise up. It's time to say, I'm not going to let that stop me. You can make every excuse you want, but there's somebody else who can conquer in that situation by the power of God. Here's the sad thing. Here's a man, Saul, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit who refuses to stand up and he calls other people to be as cowardly as he is, to do nothing. And then David says this in 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 36. He said, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. Now, now don't miss the picture. He said, I was a shepherd. He doesn't have any weapons on him at that point in reality to take on a lion or a bear. And what happens is a lion or a bear would come and steal a sheep. And rather than saying, oh, it's too bad. We lost the sheep. Listen to what it says. He says, when a lion or a bear came, took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck and killed him. Your servant has killed both the bear and the lion. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. Now, don't miss this. It's really, really something we need to grab hold of. When a problem enters your life, a challenge enters your life, a a, a hurt enters your life, what you need to do is say, I'm snatching it back. I'm not going to let it do that to me or anyone else. I have inside me the spirit of the living God. I am called to live with that kind of passion. David would not run from the lion. David would not run from the bear and he went and seized it by the beard to kill it. He took it in the very most dangerous place possible. Why? Because there was something in him huge that said, I can't let this cause go. Even if it's a small lamb that can easily be replaced. He said, I can't let it happen. So how much more when Goliath is standing before him in a time of great, great need. And then what happens is David convinces Saul to let him go out and fight. And when he goes out to fight, Goliath looks at him and and, and fills with disdain. He's insulted they would send someone so young out who's not even wearing armor because they refused to wear armor. You already know he was just carrying a few rocks with him. And Goliath looked at him and told him, I'm going to take you and feed you to the buzzards. I am going to feed you to others. He goes, am I a dog that you come with me with sticks? He goes, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. And I want you to catch what David says. David says this. He says, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now, now, did you catch it? Goliath said, I'm going to take you and kill you and feed you to the buzzards. And what did David say? David said, I'm going to kill you and all the army too. And I'm going to feed you all. Did you catch? I'm going to take you and your army. I'm ready to take you on. What kind of people are we? Here's the question more than ever. Are we going to allow the prince of the power of the air to dominate our culture? So we become people of complacency and passivity. Are we going to allow the culture to infiltrate the church in such a way? According to a demonic inspired plot to cause us not to go out and take this world. And maybe we'll be persecuted. Maybe we'll be attacked. But you know what we ought to say? Praise God that that's happened. Nothing should cause us to relent. Nothing should cause us to back down. Nothing should cause us to quit. And here's my point. If I'm not living that way, then may God forgive me. May God forgive me for not living the kind of passionate life he wants me to. And I want to say this with all my heart. If you're not living that way, may God forgive you. Because you are called to make a difference. You are called to be strong. Whether you're a man or a woman, rise up. And men more than ever, join the other men of God to be a man of God and go be who God's called you to be. Don't let anything stop you. Don't hold back. Go and take this world for Christ. You have a purpose, you have a calling, and we together should never, ever relent. And my prayer is that's the kind of people we'll be. Father, I pray you would cause us to live with a holy passion. Don't let us be a Saul who hides in the baggage. Don't be, let us be a sluggard who sits in the house afraid of the lion outside. God, let us be those who rise up. And for everybody who's facing an economic Goliath, God, may we go and attack it. And may we take it down by the power that works in us from you. For everyone who has a relational issue, may we rise up and stand for truth no matter what. For everybody who has an issue in their workplace, may they rise up in purity and love and power though. And go and make a difference. And God, I pray for the men that we're hearing today who need to stand. May they stand strong in times they should stand strong. And may they kneel strong with their wives and their children in power and prayer. And may they, Lord, love their wives with passion and love their kids with purpose. And may we see that happen. God, I pray that it's going to occur. I pray you would fire within us, Lord, a a willingness to say yes to you and no to culture. And so, God, we ask and pray right now that we would attack the gates of hell. We would take them down and we would be who you want us to be in Jesus name. Amen. Today, if you've been hearing this, I want you to know God loves you and cares about you. And he desires for you to be a person of purpose. You were made for a cause. You were made on purpose by God to do significant things. And if you're not experiencing that right now, I want you to know he wants it for you. Jesus warned that there would be a thief who tries to keep you from it. But he also promised that he wants you to have it. And if you want it, all you need to do is open up to him. And you might say, but how do I do that? And here's the answer. You pray. And right now I'm going to lead a prayer. And if you want to start living that life and being that person that God wants you to be, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know, Lord, you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurt and my pain, to free me from fear, to make me alive, to make me new, to make me yours. And I say, yes, I want this and I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. And help me be who you have created me to be and to live, to really live the life you have for me. For this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer today, get ready for an amazing life that God wants you to have, but never veer from it. Never let go. Get ready to live the life that's filled with joy, that has a peace that passes understanding, but is empowered by the very Holy Spirit. We want to help you more than ever live that life. So right now, if you would click on the next step button, people would love to again, pouring into you and helping you know what to do next. Also, if you want, you can email us. You can email me at chuck at crossroadschurch.com. And I would love to just send some things your way to help you grow in Christ, but no matter what, let all of us live our life for him the way we should. God bless you. God bless you richly, and have a great day.